Good morning. Today, the Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 30, starting from verse 25 to chapter 31 to verse 14. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Isaac, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children from whom I have served you and let me go. For you know my servant, which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes. For I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, Name me your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, You know how I served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little and had increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I provide for my own house? And he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. When the subject of my wages come before you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word to remove that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some wine in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hands of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar, and of the almond and chestnut trees peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaks and all the Brown in the flock of Laban, but he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they may conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger is Jacob. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Chapter 31. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what was our father's he acquired all this wealth. And Jacob said the countenance of Laban and indeed it was not favorable to him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to the flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance, and that is not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me, and you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckle should be your wages, then all the flocks were speckled. And if he said thus, the streak should be your wages, and all the flocks bore streak. So God has taken away the livestock your father and given it to me. Now we're jumping to verse 14 to 16. 
Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. This is the word of God. All right. Good morning. Thank you, Jenny, for reading the scripture to us today. Friends, it's good to be with you. I'm Pastor Rich. If you're new, I'm so glad. I'm so excited that you're joining us today. And at Risen, at our church right now, we're going through a series in the life of Jacob through the book of Genesis. And so far, what we've seen is the influence of Jacob's family and in turn, our own family's inevitable influence on us. The unresolved conflict between Jacob's mother and his father trickled down to his brother and him. And we saw that it got so fierce that Jacob had to leave home. So he crashes at his uncle's place, Laban, and then he sees this beautiful woman. Um, But this woman is his uncle's daughter, which makes her his cousin. But that, that's just sort of how it went back then. You know, they didn't have online dating. They didn't have modern transportation where you can just go travel and meet different people. You kind of just looked around your village and tried to marry the person closest to your age. You know, if that person <clears throat> was your sister, you moved on to the next person. <laughs> but Laban tells Jacob that if he wants to marry Rachel, who is his youngest daughter, Jacob is also going to have to marry Leah, who is Laban's oldest daughter. That's sort of uh, just how it was back then also. And so Jacob has to work for Laban for 14 years. And this was the dowry for them, seven years each. And essentially what Laban is doing here is he is pimping out his family for personal gain. Uh, Lacob is is not uh, the greatest guy. But uh, these two women end up competing for Jacob's attention their entire lives. And this leads to four different sets of children with four different women, including their maidservants, as Harry uh, preached last week. And friends, this is not a good situation, all right? Um, Maybe for some of us, we're so used to this story that it doesn't, you know, get our attention as it ought to. But this is a hot mess. Uh, We should be thinking, you know, what hope is there for this family? How is this going to end well at all? But today we are going to get a glimpse of God recovering Jacob. We're going to see that God is unwilling to leave Jacob unredeemed and untransformed. You see, when God comes to you and he saves you, he is trying also to transform you. He is unwilling to allow your sins and your brokenness to find you. He wants to bring redemption out of that. He wants to repurpose that. So today we're just going to have uh, two points. First, we're going to take a look at Jacob's adversity. And then second, we're going to take a look at Jacob's recovery. Those are our two points. So first, Jacob's adversity. You know, two of the typical stressors that we encounter in life are the stresses of work and the stresses of family. And of course, if you're married, that includes your spouse and your in-laws. And Jacob here is in a really, really sticky situation. Uh, It's actually not just, it's terrible, right? Uh, Not only is Jacob 
his sort of oppressive in-law, Jacob is also, I'm sorry, Laban. Laban is also Jacob's toxic boss. It's a double whammy. It's a two for one. So in the beginning of this passage, we see that Jacob is ready to leave. He's like, I got to go. I'm done with this. And he tells Laban, uh, give me my wives and my children, which I served you for. And I will go for, you know, the service that I have given you. You know, I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. But Laban is unwilling to let Jacob go because he knows how useful Jacob is. He knows how good he is and, and the, the deal he's getting out of this this relationship. So he tries to negotiate with Jacob by asking him, what can I give to you? What shall I give to you? But Jacob, what does he say? He says, you shall not give me anything, right? Jacob is essentially saying nothing. Okay. I'm done. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to stick around. This job is terrible, right? And so Jacob tells Laban this, let me just pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and they will be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. So when you come back to look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be considered stolen. In other words, what Jacob is doing here is, you know, he doesn't want to fight over the flock. You know, he's served and worked for Laban for 20 years, and he has been a huge contributing factor to Jacob's wealth and his livestock, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to fight over this. He doesn't want to leverage him. He doesn't want to, um, you know, um, just create even more conflict and manipulation and deceit. He gives Laban a great deal. And he tells Laban, look, I'm just going to go through your flock, and I'm just going to take all the abnormal ones, right? The, the small minority of your flock, the speckled ones, the spotted ones, the striped ones, the the black ones. This way you'll know later when you look at my sheep that I didn't take anything from you. That, that would be the clear boundary. It's almost night and day here in what we've seen previously from Jacob and what we're seeing now. Right now what we're seeing is, is Jacob is not allowing the finances to be his bottom line. Instead, he, he wants to be at peace with those around him. He, he's actually being gracious and generous to Laban. And, and it's not as if Jacob, Jacob is just, you know, not disciplined or he's not passionate about working hard and, 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 and stewarding his gifts and his time and his energy for God. No, Jacob is just as disciplined. He's just as passionate. But in his heart, he trusts that God will provide. In his heart, this has given him peace. He wants to be a trustworthy person with those around him. He wants to be a blessing to others, even, even to those who have wronged him. It's amazing that the, the transformation we've seen in Jacob here. And Laban agrees, but we know what he does, right? Just after this, Laban goes to his flock and he takes all the speckled, the spotted, the striped, the black sheep, and he gives them to his sons and he sends his sons away, three days away. I mean, what he's essentially trying to do here is he's trying to leave Jacob with nothing so that Jacob has to come back and work for him so that he has no choice. It's, it's so wicked, it's so corrupt, it's so terrible. And friends, could you, could you imagine Jacob? I mean, just how angry and frustrated and helpless he must have felt. And it's so important for us to understand that these biblical figures are real people. 
You know, they're just not like these stories of these, uh, you know, moral figures that we need to learn from and, and listen to. No, these are real lives with real brokenness. And they needed a real God, just like us. So Jacob has to think quickly now. What do I do? You know, Laban just, <laughs> he just jacked me again. So he takes tree branches and he peels the bark off of the outer layer so that the, there's the white layer that is exposed. And then he takes these uh, peeled barks and he puts them in the water troughs where the lambs come to usually mate. Because he thinks that if the lambs see these striped uh, brown and white tree branches, that they're going to somehow give birth to these spotted and, and, and speckled and striped and mixed colored sheep. And when you read this, you should be thinking, what is this guy thinking, right? Because it's ludicrous. His plan isn't based on science. It's an act of desperation. It's kind of like when uh, we want our kids to be smart, so we have them listen to classical music, you know, as if it's going to affect them. But in the end, God still blesses Jacob. And he increases him greatly with spotted and speckled and striped sheep. And God tells Jacob, it's time to return to your homeland, to the land of your kindred, and I will be with you. You know, today we don't hear God speak to us like he did uh, to his people of old, but every now and then we'll get a biblical conviction. Maybe it's God saying, you know, I want you to go and be reconciled to this person as soon as possible. Like right now, you know, go, go and say you're sorry. Forgive them as I have forgiven you. Or maybe God is saying to you in your anxiety, in your confusion, frustration, and angst, maybe he's telling you, you know, I know that it's really uncertain right now, but I want you to trust me. I want you to surrender, you know, um, your frustrations, even the things you want, the idols that, that, that you're unable to get that's causing this discontentment. I want you to surrender that to me. Come what may, trust me. Now, when Jacob tells his wives this, that God has spoken to him to, to go back home and that God is with them, what do his wives say? In verse 14, uh, they say, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Essentially, what they're, they're doing is they're looking at the finances and, and they're weighing him out. And they're saying, you know what, Jacob? Looks like right now you, you have more uh, financial potential than our father, so we're going to go with you. And one commentator describes this response this way. He says, though Jacob won their vote... They don't sound as though Jacob was the catch of the century. This is a family which has been really depleted of its personal relationships. It's, it's become a consumerist family. And though not in the exact same way, I, principally, I think that this is a lot of us. You know, 
Um, you know, yeah, we're not exactly the same as Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel and Leah, but friends, we're not above them. That's for sure. And so we too can see people as objects of self-fulfillment, right? How are you making me happy? How are you helping me get what I want? How are you making my life less stressful, less troublesome? But there's a problem when we see each other in this way, when we purely see each other in this consumerist mentality. Because what happens is we start to lose the sight of the beauty of this person the blessing of their God-given unique personality, their unique strengths, and their, the gift of their presence and their spirit. You know, we can get so caught up in this consumerist mindset in our relationships, we also lose the sort of kind of selfless loyalty that is the bedrock of relationships. The steadfast commitment to the relationship, through thick and thin, agreements and disagreements, through flaws and strengths. You see, true relationship, it, it isn't about similarities. It's not about comfort. It's not about what you can do for me, how you make me happy. Friends, it's about commitment. It's about commitment. But it's not just commitment to each other. It's also commitment to spiritual growth, spiritual accountability. It's commitment to selflessness and forgiveness. It's commitment to show grace to cover each other as Christ has covered us. This is what a gospel-centered relationship is. And you know, at the end of the day, Christian relationship is truly unique because it's, it's, it's not about us. It's a commitment to a journey and a mission, God's mission that is bigger than all of us. It's kind of like the fellowship of the ring. You have all these individuals who have come together for one greater purpose, but at the same time, they're undergoing a transformation themselves. And in the same way, we're on this cosmic and divine and personalized journey together. And friends, God is not going to leave us the same. Now, I know that when I preach as a pastor, um, or even as, as we read the scriptures, there's two ways uh, that the scriptures speak to us. And that is one, preventatively, and second, for recovery. What do I mean by that? Well, preventative in the sense that God's word has this preventative aspect of teaching to it. It teaches us how to live a life of wisdom, love, and humility. But I don't want you to think that, that the Bible is all about prevention. As if it's just a set of rules to follow because it isn't. Because the Bible, yes, it does warn, it does guide, it does counsel, but the scriptures also understand that we're not always going to be able to prevent ourselves from making mistakes, from getting lost, from sinning, from hurting each other. 
So the scripture is not just about the law of God, the correct way to live. It's also about the gospel, God's grace and his forgiveness and his redemption. Because I know that the temptation sometimes is to see all of scripture as a preventative lifestyle. You know, we get really harsh on ourselves and on each other when we make mistakes, you know, and we start pointing fingers, we get real critical, um, and, 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 it, and it, it takes on this consumerist culture and we start to distance from each other. There's no grace, there's no forgiveness, there's no uh, steadfast loyalty and commitment. There's this overwhelming temptation for us when, when things aren't going our way, when, when, when things are tough, when we encounter a season of adversity. And it's hard for us, isn't it, to see the wins and victories in our lives, to see God's past faithfulness, to see the blessing uh, and the benefit of those around us and how they're blessing us. We can easily get cynical and despair. It's hard to be positive and hopeful and encouraging. Man, it's, it's so hard to, to persevere. And friends, I understand. I do. Not because I'm going through exactly what you're going through, but because, friends, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel is all of us. And, you know, we've seen just how Jacob really failed at following the law of God, the, the preventable, preventative lifestyle of the Christian life. You know, his broken family was a sign of it. But, but we see here glimpses of redemption. God is still present. He's still working in Jacob's life. Man, there's still hope. This brings us to the second point, Jacob's recovery. You know, in our, in our past sermon, maybe a couple of weeks ago in Genesis 28, we saw uh, when Jacob was alone in the wilderness, he had to run away from home because his brother wanted to kill him. You know, he's penniless. He has no belongings, um, no job, no friends, no family, no home. He is about to be swallowed up by his failures. But in that moment, God shows up. In that moment, God speaks to him and encourages him and makes a promise to him. He says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land of promise. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Risen, I want you to remember this today. The Bible is not all about prevention. It's too real for that. It's also about recovery. And by God's grace, Jacob is not crushed by these seemingly insurmountable circumstances. God is, man, he's, he's still carrying him. And, and he's, he's still allowing him to move forward and persevere and endure, transform and grow. And it's, if we look at the rest of Jacob's interactions in this passage, we actually see a, a really different person. It's almost, it's almost a completely different person. You know, um, when Jacob goes to Laban and he tells him he wants to go home, he acknowledges 
God for the first time in his life. He's not boasting about himself. He's not talking about everything that he's done. He, he gives credit and he, and he references God. This is what he says. He says, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you. And then afterwards, he goes to Rachel and Leah after God reveals himself to Jacob and he, and he references God again. He says, the God of my father has been with me. I've served your father with all my strength and your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not permit him to harm me. And the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. And so you see your friends, God is in the process of recovering Jacob. We get to see how God is changing Jacob in his adversity. We see a person that is able to stand up under what would only crush a normal person. You begin to see a person who, as 2 Corinthians says, is afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Man, we get to see God here rebuilding Jacob from the inside out. And friends, in the same way, out of God's deep, deep love for us, he's not going to allow us to be identified with our mistakes, with our failures, and with our sin. Because in that place, in the place where we feel powerless, God is not powerless. In the, in the place where we feel hopeless, God is not at all feeling not even a little bit hopeless. God is in control and he's still faithful. He still knows what he's doing. It may not be going according to our plans, but it is going according to his plan that has been written before the beginning of time. And so friends, we have to allow room for recovery. I know that we're constantly trying to control so that we don't have to make mistakes and recover and, and, and it's, it's driving us mad almost, but we have to allow room in our spirit, in our hearts for recovery, for grace, for redemption. You know, one of my favorite TV shows is Friday Night Lights, and you know it's a it's a show about football, but it's um, it's not really about football, all right. Um, it's really a show about redemption. Each main character in this show is give a redemption story, and one of the characters uh, is Jason Street, and he's this high school All American football player. He's the quarterback. He's charming. He's good looking. You know, um, he's popular. I mean. He's got scholarships lined up for him and, you know, he's, he's, he's on the track to becoming rich and famous. But in the first episode, Jason has a career-ending spinal injury and he's never able to play football again. He's handicapped and, he's, and he has to be in a wheelchair for the, for the rest of his life. But throughout the show, you, you, you see just 
a shadow of, of this person. And he is so broken. He's angry and he's bitter. He's cynical. He's hopeless. He's in a real dark place. And you just feel for this person. And, and, and they do such a great job of story building uh, and character building. And you wonder if Jason is, is ever going to find any hope. But as the show continues, with the help of his coaches committed to him, Jacob, uh, Jason leans into a path of redemption. He leans into his, his brokenness. And he's able to repurpose his story to relate with other players whose greatest fear is injury. And he becomes their sport agent. And he's able to look out for them and to understand what they feel and what they're going through. And you start to see life and joy and purpose come back into Jason's heart. And he couldn't prevent this injury. You see, uh, things didn't go for him as he planned it. But Jason, he experiences a powerful redemption. He recovers. His, he finds redemption in his brokenness. You know, in this show, uh, all of the characters' lives are really dependent upon one central figure, and that's their coach, Coach Taylor. You know, Coach Taylor, man, he's like this savior-like figure who's always stressed out. You know, he's always available, picking up his phone, driving to their homes, not just their coach, but their football coach, but like their life coach and their father figure. Without Coach Taylor, the kids are living in despair and in confusion and brokenness. But with Coach Taylor, there's hope, there's joy, there's life, there's redemption. You know, the reason why I think this, this show is so popular wasn't because it was a show about football, but because it was a show about redemption. Right? I mean, we all love redemption stories. Because we know that, that life is not all about prevention. We all make mistakes. Life is also about recovery. You know, when we think about Jacob, and, uh, you know, we kind of just replay his entire life. I mean, it was so crazy. You know, 20 years of working for Laban, um, you know, getting so drunk on his wedding night and not knowing who he's marrying and then working seven more years for the woman he wanted to marry and their sister. I mean, it's just crazy. Twelve kids, you know, two maidservants. I mean, you, you ask yourself, how did this brother endure all of that? And as we read his story, it was only possible by the grace of God. You know, when, when Jacob was in the wilderness um, at Bethel and God revealed his grace and mercy to him, Jacob knew it wasn't because he was worthy, but he hung on to this promise that God gave him, this promise of grace that would cover his sins, this promise that God was with him no matter what. Only an encounter with the God of hope 
the God of recovery and grace and redemption, could sustain Jacob through the ups and downs of his family, his, his work with Laban, the struggle of raising his children, losing Joseph, leaving uh, his homeland once again because there's a famine and going to Egypt. You know, the poetic beauty of this story is the reason why Jacob was able to choose and appreciate, you know, the abnormal looking flock, you know, the spotted ones and the speckled ones and the striped ones. The reason why he was to choose them and appreciate them and to, and to accept them was because he understood that those sheep, they were him. And God had chosen him. And God loved him. And God was nurturing and taking care of him. Even though he had his strengths and his flaws. And so, Risen, I, I want to encourage you today um, to be encouraged by Jacob and his story. Be encouraged that growth and renewal and transformation is possible for you and for your family. But the space where God works is the space of recovery and restoration. That's where he works. That's where his promise of recreation works. You know, like when I think about me and Jen, you know, I, I, I know that we, we don't get closer. We haven't gotten closer emotionally and spiritually uh, through our strengths or, you know, our accomplishments, you know, or, you know, our comfort. No, it's through the redemption of our brokenness that we've gotten closer. Through the power of forgiveness that we've begun to trust each other more and to love each other more and experience that love from each other. It's the humble space of God's love for us in Jesus and His Spirit of grace that covers us. Friends, that's God's purpose for our brokenness for recovery as he brings us to him and to each other through humble and healing and powerful grace. You know, God is much more stubborn than us. He's, he's stubbornly committed to recreate and redeem what is broken in us. But we don't have to be afraid because God already sees and he knows everything about us. You know, and, he, and yet he loves us more than anyone could ever could. That's real relationship. That's deep relationship. And that's, that's a grace-based relationship with God. And when you experience his love like that and know that you've been covered in the blood of Christ, you know, from there you, you begin to find the power of his hope and the power of His grace and His Spirit. That's how you encounter God. And friends, come taste. Come taste His powerful redemption, His real enduring hope, right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh man, we, we just... When we look at the story of Jacob, it, it is not a perfect story. It is a real story. But it all makes sense. <laughs> because 
it's not naive in the sense that you know that that just paints up this this picture of a person who never made any mistakes but at the same time it's not hopeless it's not all cynicism and all wickedness and all bad what we see is the brokenness of our sins and yet the grace and the redemption of Christ for us working in us and through us and we know that the story is is an example it's a story if you could do this with Jacob you are doing this with us and we know that that's not because we're worthy it's not because we deserve it it's not because we've lived a preventative lifestyle it's because you are gracious so father would you speak to all of us today soften us and open our hearts towards you give us your forgiveness help us to have faith in your recovery for us work redemption in our lives we ask this in jesus name amen <laughs>